Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you uh, so much, Pastor. I'm always appreciative for the, uh, the opportunity to speak. It's like one of those things where it's... Um, don't know what you're going to talk about, and and pastor like tells you several weeks out in advance. You're like, that's so cool, and then you just get so nervous because brother Ali, I'm sure you get this. You don't know. There's just so much in this Bible to talk about, and there's thirty thousand things, and all you want to do is talk about a cool thing. And I think I'm going to talk about a cool thing to me at least. I'm a big history nerd. I love all types of history. I love all types of weird, random facts that maybe you're never going to use, but I liked them anyways. Uh, as a kid, I would go on Wikipedia. The, uh, the Astute Institute of Intelligence, Wikipedia, is the place to go if you need to learn about nothing. It's just the wonder. So I learned about dumb things like how tall mountains are, where the tallest mountain was, which we all know is Mount Everest. But what about the second tallest? What was the tallest mountain before Mount Everest was discovered? Does anyone know? It's still Mount Everest. They just haven't discovered it. You guys got the joke. That's not cool. You guys got the joke before I was able to say it. It's not fun. All right. Uh, they had it. Okay. So he knew that. That's that's smart. That's good. Well, I'm going to go through Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14, and then we're going to jump to 7, 1 through 3. And as you're getting there, um, I'm just going to say something. I know what I'm going to say now. This is uh, specifically in the Bible. It's part of the books of history. There's a bunch of these books, and they go, I believe it starts in Joshua, and it goes all the way to Esther, all the way through the first and the second Samuels and the Chronicles and the Kings. And it's really uh, a perspective of, of time that only God really gets, and we get a glimpse into it because we see history unfold before our eyes, and we can go back and forth, kind of how God can look at all time. It's like he just sees it all right there, and it's just a glimpse, just a peek. And we're only left with just instances and very important stories or even just sentences. But it's just, it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible going through the books of the history. And starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, which is in here. I put it where I saw it there. I'm using uh, sticky notes for my bookmark. I think last time I used pens and they just kind of rolled everywhere. So this time, I left the pens over there. I got sticky notes. I'm getting better at this, I think. Oh, it's up there already. Cool. All right. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the instruments and the cymbals and the instruments of music, I like how it's spelled. Uh, it's like music, like that music is sick, bro, because it was. And praise the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then even the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. We're going to jump to chapter 7, verse 1. If you have it, say amen. We have it. We all have it up there. That's great. Uh, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came from down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house 
of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, the glory of God upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised God, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise God. This is a very pivotal point in the history of the people of Israel. And we're going to talk about I'm going to pray really quick just to help me out because I need it. Amen. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you you come into this this very this very teaching, this very Wednesday service. It's not just a Wednesday service, it's an opportunity to learn more about you, to get closer to you. I ask that you bless me. Let me not stutter as much, Lord God. I ask that you just let this word be for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So like I said, history nerd. I'm not like really good at history. You can't ask me a thing about World War II, and I could tell you probably when it happened. But I, I like the, the random history, the, the really things that you only find when you scroll through YouTube for too long, just those videos. But in the Bible, it's not like that. It's very right there. God gave us this history for a very specific purpose. And reading through, you just get fascinated by all the intricate details and what happened. And the history even leading up to this event that we are reading about in 5 and 7, the chapters of Chronicles, they start, this specifically starts back to, um, if you read per, uh, just through the Bible in order of the books, it really starts at the end of Second Samuel or, or beginning of the Kings. But I'm going to read from First Chronicles or take it from First Chronicles. I'm not going to read line by line, just a history. This is um, the dedication of the temple of God, the dedication of this glorious, magnificent, though the Bible uses the word magnificent, it's the only time it's ever been used in the Bible because it just matters that much. And it starts all the way, all the way back in, uh, for, for my purpose, uh, first, first Chronicles, like the end of it, like 22-ish, or even, I don't know, maybe I should have wrote that down first. I probably should have. But there came a time where David was sitting in his house, 17, and it came to pass, like he, David was sitting in his house. He had a great-looking house. It was a very nice house. Nice house, much nicer than my apartment, I promise you. And he, he said that I dwell in this very wonderful house, very awesome, great house. It's built, of, built with cedars. Ooh, I think my house might be built with pine, perhaps. Not cedars, not at that level yet. But lo, I dwell in the house of cedars, but the ark is in curtains. And he's sitting there with his buddy prophet Nathan, who they're really tight. They're really good with each other, and they help each other out a lot, especially Nathan helps David out. David said, bro, that sounds great. Do it. It's like me and Sam sitting together. He's like, should we do it? I'm like, bro, you do that, bro. That's what Nathan said. He hyped him up. He's like, that sounds great. Your God is with you. But then later, uh, God came to Nathan and said, all right, um, no, David is not going to be building me a temple. But his son is going to be building me a temple. There's reasons. Mainly mentions that David was a man of war, a man of, of, of blood, it said. But uh, the temple would be needed to be built when there was rest along all sides. So he promised that his son Solomon would build it. And so David said, well, that's cool. I'm not going to sit around and do nothing during this time. So he prepared in abundance, and he found the place, and he found the, the place where the temple would be built with a really, really cool story. They don't have time to get into too much. He, the very short and skinny videos, he made a big mistake, and uh, he, uh, in 70,000 people were killed from it. But he saw this angel of the Lord who's carrying out this judgment over this, uh, this threshing floor of this man named Ornan the Jebusite. It says Ornan in Chronicles, and I can't pronounce the one in Samuel. For the life of me, can't do it. 
So we're going to call him Ornan, because that's what it says in Chronicles. And he's, uh, he goes there, and he says, I need to buy this threshing floor. And Ornan was going to give it to him for free. And David says something so powerful. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to offer to God what I don't pay for. And so he bought that place, and he sacrificed. And then fire came down from heaven. And he said, this is where I'm going to build the temple. And from that moment on, David prepared like crazy. Think of a doomsday prepper. Think of every, like you go in their basement and there's every single offering Captain Crunch. Because it's coming. The big one is coming. We don't know when. You, there's every single thing of water that's ever been made in there. Because it's coming. But except with, instead of uh, offering Captain Crunch and water, it was things like gold and silver and iron. In fact, the Bible says, or David says to Solomon, I've gathered... Uh, it's just thousands, hundreds of thousands of talents of gold, thousands of thousands of talents of silver, iron and brass without measure, and cedar and stone also. He is preparing. But the most important statement is that you've got to add to it too. So just because what David brings is a lot doesn't mean we can't keep on adding. We've got to keep on adding. That's a different time. Uh, but David gathered in total. I'm also, I like math. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you everything about myself today. I might be going a little fast, so I apologize slow down. I'm excited. But the brass and iron without weight, we don't know the exact numbers, but added up all throughout uh, every explanation of what's going on, about 108,002.5 talents of gold. What? That's a lot of gold. That is much more than I currently possess. A million and 17,000 talents of silver, which is still more silver than I would ever have. And so much wood that it could clear out probably several Home Depots, stone to take out a mountain. And just to give us context for today, talent, what is a talent? I, you know, some people think they're talented. I know I'm not very talented. But talent was not that. It was a unit of weight. And it weighs, it measures out to about 75 pounds. One talent's about 75 pounds. So crunching the numbers, doing the math, I looked up the current price of gold and silver. If you have some gold, you're pretty good. You're doing pretty well. So 108 thousand and two point five talents comes out to about eight million pounds of gold eight million pounds of gold and at the current price uh, per ounce of gold is 17 uh one thousand seven hundred eighty five dollars per ounce that would give the amount of gold a grand total of 231 billion dollars worth of gold in today's time if you had 231 billion dollars what would you be doing with some people are going to space, but uh, David decided to build a temple, which I think is the right move. With uh, the 1,017,000 talents of silver, that comes out to uh, about $28 billion worth of silver. So a grand total of somewhere in between two or 231 billion plus 28 billion is a lot more billions than I have. And that's just the gold in the, in the silver. And that, that doesn't you know, calculate in the, the cost of lumber for today. Could you imagine all the lumber that David would need or Solomon would need to build? That might be more than the gold at this point today. I'm not sure. But with stone and, and lumber and so much, way more, closer to $250 billion total dollars of just gold and silver. On top of that amount, he had an astonishing labor force with everyone that could do anything. Everyone who could do anything was there who needed to be done. There was, there was stonemasons. There was people who cut down the timbers elsewhere. He imported in wood. He was, they, went, they went big for this thing. It wasn't a small thing. Specific craftsmen uh, for the tiny details. 
And that would alone cost a small fortune just to feed the amount of workers that he had or pay them or anything. But he spared no expense. No expense was spared for this thing. It was a huge place. It was about 90 feet by 30 feet by 45 feet tall. And it was modeled after the pattern of the tabernacle. And David specifically had the blueprints. He wrote everything down. He gave it all to Solomon. Uh, And in total, the temple was, as David said, exceedingly magnificent. And so that's where we come to in our scripture. Uh, the, complete, the building is completed. David does not get to see the, the completion of the temple, I believe. Um, but it is completed, and the workers came in, and they did their work, and the gold was laid, and the doors were put up, and, and the pillars, and the altar was put there. And that's where we come to in chapter 5. This is um, the completion of this magnificent mansion worthy only for our glorious God. But this was not just... Uh, any other temple, there's many other temples out in the world. If you go to Greece, you can throw a quarter. I've never been to Greece, but I just, in my mind, watching like Hercules, if you like throw a quarter or something, it hits a temple to some god. But this was not like anything, anything like that. It was completely different because this temple was actually for a real god. And so it was not only just a dwelling place for a god that may or may not be real. He was real. He is real today. But it was not just a dwelling place. It's a building devoted to the worship of God. And so the dedication of this temple when it was complete was possibly one of the largest shindigs ever. Everyone and everyone's mama came there who were Israelites. And it all came to witness this dedication of the temple. And the Ark of, the God, uh, Ark of God was, was being placed in. And the Ark was not just some box, although it may look like that. It was something so much more precious to the Israelites the ark went with Israel into battle in the wilderness. It was made for uh, God to, to be physically there, a place where God was. And it crossed into the promised land with the Israelites, and it circled the walls of Jericho. And it's the same ark that had the original Ten Commandments that had the handwriting of God on them. And that's, that was the purpose. It was for, to put the ark there. That's what this whole 22... Uh, $250 billion worth of gold and silver was to make a, just something habitable for God, just something that he could sit in. And then the ark was seated in the temple, but not just any part of the temple. They didn't put it like by the front door and say, all right, God, you can move your ark wherever you want. Uh, they were very good movers when it came to this. They, uh, they had the, the right tools to make sure it got moved in properly, didn't scrape up the new wall. Whenever my mom asked me to move furniture, every time I go down to my parents' house, my mom tells me to move something. And so I'm really good at scraping up the walls by moving furniture, but they didn't do that. They had the right tools. They, they had everything together. And it went into this place called the Holy of Holies, just the most sacred place in the whole world. The highest ranking high priest could, could only go in there once a year, and he had to wear bells and a rope because if he dies, they have to pull him out because they can't go in and get him. So everything there had to be in perfect working order, just as God had planned, just as David had planned. And as the ark is in place and as the curtain closes, where we come to in chapter 5, then just this, this presence fills in because they start to sing. They have this probably the best choir to ever choir. I don't know if choir is a verb, but I'm going to use it as a verb. Just the best singers, the best musicians, and they play uh, in key, probably in tune, and it's just so beautiful. And then the presence of God just starts to fill up that place. And it, like we read, um, that they weren't the, 
the priests could not stand to minister. They could not to stand there because this cloud was so thick. This presence was so, was so huge and tangible, and you can feel it, and you could see it working, and, and people, I'm sure people were getting excited. I'm getting a little excited thinking about it. And it was, it was tangible. It was real. It was right in front of them. And as they continue dedicating, they sacrifice herds worth. Of, of sacrifices, so many sacrifices, because they really needed to dedicate this temple. And Solomon, the king, prays to God, and it's an incredible prayer, and they offer so many sacrifices. And just as we read in chapter 7, God came down with fire, a consuming fire. And the priests couldn't go back even into the house of God because the glory of the Lord was so thick. You couldn't even, you couldn't even operate in there when you went back in anymore. It was just so heavy. So after preparing a house of God, he showed up with his power and filled the house with his glory and with his presence, and it came down to earth with fire. And this is an Old Testament story, and it's a real story. It really did happen, I, I can promise you. I wasn't there. One of you might have been. I'm not going to name names, but, but I wasn't there. But I know it happened because this happens today. There's a there's a kind of like a, a growing movement, not like a real movement, that people want to leave out the Old Testament. People just say, you don't need the Old Testament anymore. And I, I beg to differ. You can't, you can't preach anything. You can't talk to anyone about God without bringing up the Old Testament. The New Testament is built on the Old Testament. Even the writer of Hebrews says it, and everyone in the New Testament that we read about would argue. That's all they had. Peter on his... Uh, on his first message, Pentecostal message, used various parts of the Old Testament to preach, and we need that too. And um, I heard that there is three time places for every scripture in the Bible. There's a time for when it was said, there's a time for us now, and then there's a time for when God comes back. There's always, it's going to be complete wrapped up. And so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about what's the current time for this scripture today? It's not when we are building the temple. It's Something's going on today with us. And can I tell you that God still comes down with fire? You don't even have to be a billionaire with a billionaire building to have the glory of God living in a temple that you dedicate to God. And just as I mentioned, we're going to go to, I'm going to go to Acts 2. I love the book of Acts. It's a very important book. And I think, uh, I think maybe every time I teach, I go to it because it's so important, especially Acts chapter 2. And the scene in when we come to 2 verse 1, there's a bunch of people sitting in a room and they're waiting because they're under a divine command from a recently res resurrected Jesus to wait for the promise of the Father, which they had had from him. Um, that's in Acts chapter 1. Luke, the writer of both Acts and Luke, he, re he records it also in 2449. And behold, I... Send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all of Judea. Judea that's, there's three syllables there. Uh, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So there's this group of people here, and they're waiting for something because Jesus said so. When Jesus tells you to do something, I would suggest to do it. I'm not always the best at that, but I've always found it's much better if I just do what he says. And then compared to when I don't do what, I, what he says, it's just it's the rules. I didn't make them. I just try to follow them. Uh, Acts chapter one, and four, uh, 1 verse 14 says, These all continued, when the all is Peter, James, John, 
the crew, you know, the original 11, and then they added one more guy, our, 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 our guy, our, uh, is it Matthias? Yes, I was going to say Barnabas, but that was the other guy. No, he was already one, um, but Matthias. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And so they waited there because God said so. And, well, Jesus said so. Jesus says, God, we don't need that. It's fine. I can say that. But Jesus said so. They, so they waited 10 whole days. And that's where we pick up our story in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. And I'm sure most of us know this, but I love reading it. I love reading it because it's, it's not just an Acts chapter 2 thing. It's a today thing. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. And suddenly, someone say suddenly. There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, say filled, filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Say fire. Say it again. Ooh, don't, now, now I'm scared. Is there a fire? Mm. And it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In that very room, they were filled with the Spirit of God. God's physical presence showed up, and His Spirit, not physical, His Spirit showed up, and they're all filled with that Spirit of God, and there was physical evidence there to prove it. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11 that God would baptize, or that, well, that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire, the one to come after him, the one that uh, John was making the way for, which was Jesus. He would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the Holy Ghost is real. I'm a personal recipient. I, I, I don't know where I'd be without the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't be here right now. And that is God's spirit, and he wants to live in you. And I know most of us know about, I'm sure all of us maybe know about this, but I just, it's so important that I, that I can't but help to repeat it. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to dwell in you. And you don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to build the most luxurious building, although we have a wonderful building, don't we? I'm so thankful for it. But it's even more deeper than just going to church on Sunday. It's, it's something more personal than that. Because you don't have to have all the gold and silver in the world. You don't have to have all the money. I certainly don't, and I'm here today. Uh, but you don't need to do any of that to make a temple because you are the temple. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 19 through 20, Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, um, he says, in, starting in 19, and the whole book of all both, all two Corinthians are so good. I would suggest everyone to read them. But he says in 19, what? No, you not. I always like that word, what? There was this time I went to a Sunday school class at my parents' church, and they were learning this scripture. And this one girl, Caitlin, she got so into it. She's like, what? And then she went, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you and which you have of God? And I was like, man, she's really into that what? But anyways, I'm going to reread it because I got sidetracked. Uh, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your body and your spirit is God, uh, you're bought with a price, and you are the temple. Um, and that's so great, because I don't know how to build temples. I'm not a good temple builder. I've 
fairly a, a regular builder. I'm, I'm not even a builder. I help my dad with uh, building projects. I hold the hammer for him. And I have the nails in my pocket, and then I lose one of the nails. And it's a whole fiasco. It's a whole thing. So building a temple on my own would be quite the undertaking. But temples alone are, are structures dedicated to the deity that lives in there. Uh, Paul's the writer of Corinthians, like I said. He was familiar with temples, especially during this time period that he was writing. And his audience, the church of Corinth, would have been too. Corinth was in Greece. It was actually like the seat of commerce, a really great seat of commerce. It's like the in-between of, of, of the Mediterranean, of the Roman Empire, and Asia. And it was right there, and there's so many different religions would come through, so many different people, so many different things. And um, there were temples everywhere, temples everywhere. So the, his audience would definitely know what a temple is. And even if there wasn't temples anywhere, it's... It was common knowledge because the temple, uh, Solomon's temple was, or the rebuilt Solomon's temple was standing in Jerusalem. But the temple's purpose is to be the place to worship that God. And in walking by a temple, you would have known which God uh, you would serve there just by the way it is. Because that's what they named it. This is the temple of Zeus or whatever God is there. My experience is only that Disney Hercules movie, I promise. And so, like, uh, just like... Um, uh, I lost my place in my notes. I'm back. We're here. All right. So they would have known which God is built, uh, that temple was built for. And so Paul, in this statement, just like temples, physical places, there was a temple for whatever God people foolishly served. Paul is calling the church to be the temple, to be the house of God for the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy, of the Holy Ghost. And so we're all just walking temples. We're all walking magnificent buildings. Whether we know that we're magnificent buildings or not, we are walking temples, places, seats of God. And God wants to fill us up uh, with the Holy Spirit. He wants our temple to not just be a random temple. He wants it to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he wants to live inside you. And the fact of the matter is that we are not even our own. We, there's this, this wave that's been happening for a very long time of individuality, of I can do it myself. I'm my own man, you know which is very important to live independently, and I'm, I, I, I enjoy living independently. But there's just things that we can't do by ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't, we can't even live with ourselves sometimes. But God is there, and he wants to live with you. He wants to, uh, to fill you up with his Holy Spirit. He wants to forgive you for things you can't even forgive yourself of. And that's what that epitome of the Holy Spirit, that's the, the, the crux of everything right there, that you were handcrafted, fearfully and wonderfully made, just like the temple we talked about. God prepared you specifically for one purpose, and that is to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. He worked diligently hard to prepare everything you need to be that temple. And the thing is, God bought all of us by dying on that cross. We're all, have you ever seen, uh, anyone, I'm saying a lot of things like shows and movies. I'm sorry, I'm, that's not very Pentecostal of me. But uh, something I relate it to is, have you ever seen like a HGTV show where they like buy an old house and they renovate it? I feel like that sometimes. I feel like that, that old fixer-upper that God has to move into, and he has to replace the floorboards a little bit. He has to put up new drywall sometimes. He has to take out the rats, because somehow rats are living there. And he has to just fill it with beautiful furnishings. He has to make it a house that you would want to live in. And he's not alone doing that. Uh, the Bible says, or Jesus even says a parable about a man who had a spirit, and God cast him out of it. And, this, the, and he had to, you know, he swept up and cleaned the place. Because he didn't fill it up with anything, seven more spirits came in. 
So not only does God want to clean us and clean up our house and make us a beautiful fixer-upper, me personally, I think I'm a craftsman. Craftsman with, you know, just nice, you know, good colorings on there, not too abrasive, good curb appeal. Um, and very, it's like three bedrooms probably. But God wants to fix us up just like that. He wants to make us brand new. And he, he's not going to put us on the market. He's not trying to flip us for anything more because he bought us for a very specific purpose. He chooses to live in all of us. So you were handcrafted, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, just like that temple. And God bought all of us by dying on the cross. And how we receive that, that, that uh, buying price, how do we receive that thing that God has bought us with? And Peter talks about it in Acts chapter 238, one of my favorite verses. It was, I think, pretty sure the first scripture I knew was kind of, you know, hammered into all of our heads as kids. And we just say it, but reading it now, even though I knew the importance, I, there's such a greater importance to it even now today for me. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is the culmination of a wonderful message that I wish I could have been there for that message. Don't you? Don't you wish you could have been in those streets and hearing those crazy things? Because what had happened is after they got the Holy Ghost, they started speaking in other tongues. And that means they were speaking in other languages. And people at this time, it was the uh, day of Pentecost. So there were people from everywhere, all languages. And they are all hearing their language. I was listening to a podcast today about uh, missionary brother uh, Doug Kleindance. I don't, some of you may have, may have heard of him. And he uh, was on a missions trip in the Philippines and he was, praying for this, like, eight-year-old boy, and he was, he could barely speak any language, but he spoke whatever they spoke, but then he starts speaking in English, and he, he's in perfect, flawless English, this uh, adoration of God, and he, he said that he heard the kids say, God is fill, filling me with rivers of living water in perfect English, because that's how the Holy Spirit works. It comes in, and it overtakes you, and you don't know what's going on. It's like in that tabernacle, when it's all dedicated, when the sacrifice is made, God comes into you, and you can't even stand to minister on your own. Those ministers, their job was to, was to do everything. But then God comes in, and he takes over everything. You can't even control yourself anymore. It's that powerful. It is that powerful. And that promise that Peter talked about, and that promise that Jesus told Peter about, that's, that's for us right now. The scripture, the very famous scripture that Peter quotes is in, Joel 2, and it says, In the last day I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. And me personally, as a youth leader, I know that we have the young men in our church right now who are going to see visions. There's, I, I have to stop thinking about the youth as the church of tomorrow. We're, you guys, Devin, you're the church of right now, buddy. This is what's happening. These are the last days, and God wants to use all of us, every single one of us in this room, whether you know about it, whether you don't know about it. He wants to use you anyways. And uh, there's kind of like saying, ah, there's no like, well, uh, should I? There's a definite should. You definitely should be used and be filled with the Spirit, with uh, God's Holy Spirit. And he can fill you anywhere. The first step is to just repent. It's to sacrifice yourself. It's to just say simply, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. I, that's, that's all God wants to know. And he wants to know that you are truly repentant. Repent literally means turn around. Go 180 just the other way, and that's what repentance is. It's a changing of your heart, and so once you do that, you just got to start praying and start asking. Uh, junior camp is going on right now. It's a fantastic 
fantastic. Many, many kids all the time get the Holy Ghost there. But my favorite story is uh, there's this kid. It was a brother and a sister, actually. My parents tell me this story because they say, oh, man, those were two of the worst kids. They were just, we almost sent them home. But then the sister got the Holy Ghost, and her attitude changed. And so that right after that chapel service, the boys were out playing soccer in the field. And uh, the one, the brother was just sitting there next to the evangelist who was there and said, man, I can't wait for tomorrow so I can get the Holy Ghost. I just can't wait. And that's all he was talking about. And the evangelist turns to him and say, we don't have to wait for chapel tomorrow. We can get it right now. So right there on that ball field while kids were playing, under a tree they were praying, and he received the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. And that's how powerful God is. He can fill you anywhere, anytime, as long as you prepare yourself first. Because God, that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to fill you up. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Whether you have the Holy Ghost now or not, that's what you're prepared for. That's your calling. That's your destiny, to have that Holy Ghost living inside of you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God took a very, very special care in creating all of us, but specifically you. One of the coolest facts about the temple that I always love reading about is the stones that were built for the temple were cut previously and brought over. There was no cutting on site. Everything was put together right where it needed to be, and it all fit in perfectly to the plan. I, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm terrible at building things. In high school, I needed a desk for my room, so we ordered one of them from like Amazon, and it was particle board, and at the end of it, you know, there was missing pieces everywhere, and things were like, it was like this, but I dealt with it because I did it. And uh, it, was, it was not handcraft. It was not perfect at all. Things were kind of just shoved in there, and screws were falling out. That's not how God builds us. He doesn't build us like a knockoff Ikea desk. He builds us, in my estimation, like a, like a Lego set. Like a Lego set. I am a big Lego fan. Any big Lego fans in the building? Nice. My guy's over there. I love Legos. I grew up on Legos. Um, and Legos come from a bunch of pieces that you look at them like, I don't know what this is going to do. This is a three-by-one thing, and it's going to go somewhere, I'm sure. But not only is it a bunch of pieces, it's also there's an instruction manual. And, you know, you kind of flip through the instruction manual, and you start to figure out how to put the pieces together. And at, at the end of it, you have something that you could never know how to make on your own. There's no way I could build a spaceship like that with these five pieces, but somehow I did with this book, with this instruction manual. So no matter how many pieces that you have when you start, you'll never know how it is until it's finished. Even fully, the picture on the box doesn't do it justice sometimes. I had this really cool one. I had several really cool ones. And this one had like guns on it, and it was a spaceship. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Didn't even show that on the box. So that was, that was, that was kind of cool. And, and just like, if this is, that may be just for me. That may be just how I understand it. But I hope it helps someone out. And then I was, I was thinking, like, well, not only does Jesus want to live inside of us, he wants to be the most important piece of that, of that puzzle, too. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22 says, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So not only you were strangers, we were just running around there not knowing anything. We were foreigners, but now we're fellow citizens. We're living in that house now. Now we're in the household. We're brothers and sisters with other people of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and of the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is one of the most important parts of a building. 
It's what holds everything together. It's where all the pressure resides on right there. If you take out that cornerstone, everything falls apart. So Jesus Christ himself, having also a foundation with the apostles and the prophets and our pastors, a foundation for us and other ministers and leaders in our life is, is a foundation with Jesus Christ being the thing that holds everything together in whom all of the building, I love this right here, is fitly framed together. There's no missing piece. There's no piece that got cut a little too short, a little too long. We got to bring out the hacksaw and we got to make sure it all lines up and then it's crooked. None of that. I'm talking from personal experience. But everything is fitly framed together and it groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. How you start right now, how God fills you right now is not how you're going to end up. God is still working on you. That master craftsman says, you know, I think this place needs a new vanity. We're going to put in a new vanity. How do you like this new backsplash in Colton's life? And I love it, personally. Big backsplash fan. But we groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in, he, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Well, I'm going to come to a close. We're about three minutes early. We're doing great. Having a great time. I Maybe, maybe I talked too fast, but I, I hope I got the important information out here. But if you are here and you're missing the most important piece of your puzzle, if you're missing the most important thing, if you're missing the coolest thing about a Lego set is the minifigure that like really brings it to life. It's a little guy that sits in there, and it looks like everything comes together with that little guy. God's more important than just like a little guy that looks cool. He's the most important part. He makes everything come together. And if we're missing that in our life, if we're missing the Holy Spirit, I would invite you to, to seek it out, to be a temple of the Holy Ghost, and not just be a walking temple of, of nothing. But let's be temples of the Holy Ghost. And just like fire fell back in Chronicles, back when the temple was dedicated, fire can fall in your life, just like what happened in the upper room. You can get filled with God's presence. You don't even know what you're doing anymore because God wants to do that. He wants to live inside of you. So as we stand, uh, I, think, I think that wraps up. Thank you, Maddie.